Welcome again, everybody. It's great to see all of you. Uh, we're going to begin today with a little bit of a history lesson. So for you history buffs, uh, this will be a flyover. We're not going to get into big details. But one of my favorite uh, authors that I got to study when I was in college and even since <clears throat> is William Shakespeare. That's kind of an easy grab, right? Like if you've read anything of English literature, of course you've had to read Shakespeare. Famous playwright, uh, probably one of the most revered authors in human history. He wrote all different kinds of plays, tragedies, comedies, and he wrote histories. And one of his history plays depicted the life of a monarch, a king of England, in dramatic ways, but in ways that were represented in certain aspects of history. Like he wrote about historical events through a dramatic lens. And Henry V is one of his most well-known histories. It tells the story of King Henry V of England. And it's such an interesting play to read because it's about the calling of leadership, the call to courage, and this tension, especially that this king encounters because he has to be a wartime king. It wasn't necessarily what he wanted, but it's what he was called to do. He had to go into battle to be able to live into his calling. And for many of us, it may feel like we are going into battle right now, maybe not in the way that those of us who've served in the military have honored our country and served in that regard, but in that we don't know what's ahead. We're fearful. We're, we're not sure what actually is going to come around the next corner. We're kind of bracing ourselves for impact. So Henry is tasked with leading the nation of England during this huge event called the Hundred Years' War, a conflict that literally lasted a hundred years, a little bit more, between France and England. And so there's a famous scene in the play where Henry is leading his troops into battle at the Battle of Avignon, at, or excuse me, Ave, Agincourt. Agincourt is a narrow valley, a strip of land that's not that remarkable in the French countryside. And Henry and his troops had come from England, they'd crossed the sea, they had come into France, and they were marching toward Paris. They had to go through Agincourt. And this is cold, this is rainy, this is <clears throat> probably familiar territory for us when we get to December in the Northwest. It's not a pleasant time, and his troops are tired. They've been marching, they have been trying to refortify themselves with supplies. They are heading toward this huge battle with the French army. And there's this speech that the king gives right before his tired, muddy, kind of beat up troops encounter the French. Before they rise to the challenge of battle, the king gives them this speech to inspire and encourage them. And he has to do this because they're tired, but he also has to do this, as you'll see in the clip that I'll play for us in just a minute, they are outnumbered, they are outmatched, they are outgunned on a five to one ratio. Do you feel like the thing that you're looking at, this challenge, this battle that you're going to go fight, whether it's working from home, whether it's trying to make sure your kids are well cared for, do you feel like it's kind of a five to one battle? Like, this isn't fair. I don't have the resources I need. I don't know what to do here. Well, you can relate to what these troops were facing. So there's several film depictions of this great speech called the speech, uh, St. Crispin's speech, which was a holiday in the Church of England. And so we're going to watch it. It's three minutes. And here's what I want you to do. Right after the speech ends, if you want to type something into the chat that stood out to you, a word, a phrase, how do you feel after you hear this speech, put it into the chat. It won't be distracting. We'll kind of be able to look at that later on. 
And then I also want you to write down any kind of feeling or word or phrase that emerges for you from just watching this speech. What stands out to you? That'll be useful later on as we go into our breakout rooms. So in keeping with how we do things here at Bethany Eastside, I am going to walk my phone over to my computer and show you this speech. So hang with me for just one sec while I make my little walk over there. If you want to play some traveling music in the back of your head, you're welcome to do that. <clears throat> Where is the king? The king himself is rode to view their battle. Of fighting men, they have full threescore thousand. That's five to one. Besides, they are all fresh. It is a fearful odds. Oh, that we now had here. But one ten thousand of those men in England that do no work today. What's he that wishes so? My cousin Westmoreland. Oh, my fair cousin. We are marked to die. We are enough to do our country loss. And if to live, the fewer men, the greater share of honor. God's will, I pray thee, wish not one man more. Brother, proclaim it, Westmoreland, through my host, that he which hath no stomach to this fight, let him depart. His passport shall be made, and crowns for convoy put into his purse. We would not die in that man's company that fears his fellowship to die with us. This day is called the Feast of Crispian. He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand at tiptoe when this day is named and arouse him at the name of Crispian. He that shall see this day and live old age will yearly on the vigil feast his neighbors and say, Tomorrow is Saint Crispin's. Then will he strip his sleeve and show his scars and say, These wounds. I had on Crispin's day. Old men forget, yet all shall be forgot, but he'll remember with advantages what feats he did that day. Men shall our names, familiar in their mouths as household words. Harry the King, Bedford and Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester be in their flowing cups freshly remembered. This story shall the good man teach his son. And Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world, but we in it shall be remembered. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England, now abed, shall think themselves accursed they were not here, and hold their manhood's cheek, while any speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's Day! <laughs>
All right. I hate to cut that off. It's so good. Did anybody catch a young Christian Bale who will one day become Batman in the audience or in the group of soldiers, I should say. So pop into the chat. What words stand out to you? I see the word brave coming up there. That's awesome. We're just going to use this as kind of fodder to get our minds going as we get ready for our breakout rooms later on. Write down an impression or a word. You don't have to put this in the chat, but just write it down for later. That speech has been used literally thousands of times to inspire people. And isn't it inspirational? Doesn't it make you just want to go out there and conquer the world? That's where we get such phrases as band of brothers. That's where we get we few, we happy few. That's where Kenneth Branagh really makes his mark with his spit flying and all this other stuff. These are powerful moments that Shakespeare knew would inspire people. I'm sure he had no idea that it would inspire the generations of people that it has. That speech is meant to call people to courage. So take a deep breath. Where are you being called to courage? Where in your life, what part of your life, what part of your work or your family or your neighborhood are you specifically experiencing this tug where you're going, I need to be living into this. And I need God's courage to do it. I don't have the courage to do it by myself. These beat up English soldiers were not going to go take on the superior French army. They were just going to kind of limp into battle. But this speech, this call to courage brought them forth. My contention this morning, church, is that there is a call to courage in the text for each of us. It was a call to courage for the early church because of the odds that they faced, because of the seemingly insurmountable foe they had in front of them, not just the Roman Empire, but this culture that was ambivalent and even uh, aggressively against them. What is the challenge that you're facing? Write it down. You don't have to put it in the chat. Write it down. What is the, the weighty thing that you feel right now? One of the things that our family, our family spent a ton of time on this week, like lots of families, is how do we educate? How do we take on schooling at home for our eight, five, and three-year-old. They have such different needs. They have such different passions and, and things that they're working on. How do we do that well? What are the things that are in front of you that you believe God is calling you to courageously engage? It may be your business. It may be whether you've got a loved one in the hospital and you're going, man, I I can't do anything, but I can pray, and I need energy for prayer. My hope is that by the end of our time this morning, as we go into breakout rooms, that you will not only feel encouraged, that you will experience the Holy Spirit's courage, but that you will know this. And this is kind of our thesis, this uniting theme for today. God sees and knows your challenges, church. And he has given them to you for such a time as this. He has given them to us so that we might rise to them. We heard this earlier in the psalm that we read when we gathered together for worship. And so what we're going to look at today is a challenge in the church from the text. We're going to look at how the church responds with courage, specifically through Peter. And then we're going to look at how Henry challenged his troops to go into battle and how we are called to the battles that we will face this fall. And we are called to respond with courage. So take a look at the text with me. If you have your Bibles in front of you, turn to Acts chapter 11. We're going to look at the challenge in the church to begin. The challenge in the church 
comes from the book of Acts, which we've been studying all throughout the summer. And you might as well sub re-subtitle or subtitle Acts, How People Fight. <laughs> there are so many battles. There are so many scrapes that the early church gets into. And this is a good word for us, church, because thankfully in our church, we've had a good season of peace. We, as a church across Bethany, we have these many Bethany families, and yet we enjoy unity. We enjoy God's gift of being able to be in fellowship together and experiencing peace. That is God's gift, no doubt, because the church is an imperfect group of people. The church is a broken group of people. If you are looking for the perfect church, stop looking. It's not there. Find a church, belong to a church where you know that you can do the ministry God has called you to do and do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Don't look for perfection because it ain't there. It's standing right next to the uniform. So what's this latest conflict in the book of Acts about? Well, it's about what does it take to follow Jesus Christ? What are the steps you need to take? What are the actions that are required to enter into saving relationship with Jesus Christ? Kind of a big deal when you're building a church. Kind of a big deal when you're trying to tell people about who Jesus is. What steps need to be taken? So for a group of people in the early church, they believed, because they came from a Jewish background, that the step that needed to be taken for men was circumcision, an outward sign of their commitment to God. Painful sign, nonetheless, especially for adult men. But this was what they were wrestling about. And this was a patriarchal society, so this application, this focus on men, it's part of the culture then. It's not how we would do it now, but that's how it was then. And so the question is, what does it take to come to faith? There's a group of people that say, you got to be circumcised. You need to have this outward sign of your religious conviction. And then there's a group of people that say, uh, no, all you need is Jesus Christ. All you need is to follow him and to serve him faithfully. We heard about that in last week's text. All you need, the door is wide open to you. If you want to follow Jesus Christ and do your best to live your life as he would live your life if he were alive right now. And so Peter's response, because Peter's one of the leaders in the church, he's the one who's actually delivering this speech. Peter's response to those critics who say, look, you got to be circumcised first, you got to get this done first, is to say, look, I hear you. Peter's also a Jewish convert, so he understands the significance of circumcision. But what he says to them is so interesting. If you look in the text carefully, he says, look, all I know is this. I have seen something happening with these Gentiles, these non-circumcised men, and they have what we have. They don't have the same background. They don't have the same uh, symbols or, or religious observances as we do. What they have is the Holy Spirit. They have the Holy Spirit. He says as much. And this is where we have to say a real quick word about experience. Experience matters in faith. When we are talking about our faith, when we are witnessing to people whose belief system is radically different from our own, we can say, you know, here's what I've experienced. Our faith is not predicated on experience. Experience doesn't rule in our faith. What has authority in our faith is the word of God and the faithfulness of God, and our experiences need to come under the lordship of those things. But Peter's response is so helpful to them because he says to these Jewish believers, look, I've seen the Holy Spirit come. And in that group of people, you better believe there were folks who were with Peter back in Acts chapter 2 who experienced exactly what he was talking about. Acts chapter 2 is when God pours out the Holy Spirit on the church. It's the moment of Pentecost, the tongues of fire, the speaking in tongues, makes Presbyterians like me super nervous. And there's a moment 
that they all share. And he points back to that moment and he says, remember that? Remember that church? That group of people over there, even though they're not circumcised, even though they're, you know, as heathen as the day is long, they have the Holy Spirit. What do you make of that? Oh, and by the way, he adds this. He kind of puts the cherry on top. He says, Jesus said this would happen. And this is the rallying cry. You see it right there in the text. Jesus says this. John came baptizing with water, but y'all, yet you, plural, will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. John came to baptize you with water, but I, Jesus, came to baptize y'all. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the conflict in the church is responded to with this call to courage. That's what I believe is happening when he says, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's saying, there's a lot more at work here. There's a lot more going on than we might understand. And what is this baptism of the Holy Spirit? Just a brief aside, if you grew up in certain traditions of the church, baptism of the Holy Spirit was a really big deal in your church. It was an important moment. I think it's also been used to divide in a lot of churches between kind of a higher level and a lower level of faith. So it makes me a little nervous. <clears throat> but what baptism of the Holy Spirit is in the Bible is it is a renewed pouring out of God's power into your life, not for your own glory, not to make you look more substantial in the lives of others, but to bring God glory by building his kingdom. Let me show you an example. In Joel chapter 2, I know, Old Testament had the Holy Spirit, ta-da! Joel chapter 2, verse 28, quoted in Acts chapter 2, says this. The prophet says, Afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Not just Gentiles, not just Jews, not just white people, not just college-educated people. I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And here's what will happen, says the prophet. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. I think when the people of the New Testament church heard those words that Peter quoted, John baptized you with water, but God is coming to baptize with the Holy Spirit. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They thought of passages like this. They thought of this crazy promise that Jesus made where he said, you will do even greater things. That, that has always struck me as one of the most incredible statements of Jesus. He's the son of God. He has healed people. He has brought miracles. He's raised people from the dead. And he says to this ragtag group of believers, you will do greater things than this? You gotta be kidding me. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is so powerful. It's not something we can dial up. It's simply something that we can receive that sends us forth not to build a monument, but to be a part of a movement, which is God's church. Did you know that you're a part of a movement, church? Just like I keep moving my phone because the light behind me makes it look like I have red and green highlights in my hair. That's the uh, stained glass in the sanctuary, which is lovely unless you're standing under it and very distracting. So I apologize for that. You are a part of a movement. You've been brought to faith in Jesus Christ. No one tripped and fell into their faith. You were baptized in the faith, faith, most likely. If not, I'd love to talk to you about social distancing baptisms, which is kind of an intriguing theological concept. You're a part of a movement, though. So you are baptized. You are dying your old ways of life. You were raised to new life in Christ. And then over time, this Holy Spirit pouring out over you for visions, for dreams, like was talked about in Joel, that's going to happen. Jesus said this would happen. 
He said, you will do greater things than this. Do you believe that this is the moment when you and I, church, will do greater things? Is this our St. Crispin's Day moment? When you are facing working from home until January or beyond, oh man, let's do it. Let's go. When you are facing the prospect of having your kids go to school on a screen, my middle daughter is going to start kindergarten on a screen. You better believe that breaks my heart. But you know what? If the Holy Spirit has put it in front of us, let's go. Let's do it. Let's try this out. Paul or Peter is telling the Jewish Christians, I get it. I understand your concern, but this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. So let's go. We're a part of a movement. Let's do this. Henry V says this to his scared, tired, beat down troops. Let's go, guys. Let's go. What does God put in front of you to say, let's go. Let's do this. You started a new business. I know this is true for a couple people in our church. You start a new business. Congratulations. Let's go. What do you want to do? How can we help? You want to be bold in how you engage this sickness, this pandemic, both of a physical level, but also at a spiritual level. And I'm talking about racism. I'm talking about the brokenness of systemic injustice. You were fired up to do that. Let's go. What do you want to do? Let's go do it. You want to share your faith with others. You want to get better at telling the story of how Jesus Christ has transformed your life. I do too. Let's go. Let's learn from one another. Let's get better at this. My final encouragement is very practical around this idea of let's go. And you can just say these things with me. Let's go together. Let's go together. How can we as a community support each other in the courageous things that God is calling us toward right now? Henry could not have defeated the French by himself. Peter could not have been a part of the conversion of the Roman Empire all by his lonesome. You are not called to this moment of courage all alone. Let's go together. Who's going to help you walk into this courageous moment that's ahead? Let's go prayerfully. Say that with me. Let's go prayerfully. I am increasingly convicted that the more weight I give to something in my life, whether it's supporting my wife and my children as we try to do school from home, screen school, whatever you want to call it, our life together as a church, our finances, the more weight I feel around something, the more fervently and frequently I need to be praying about that. It's not going to do me any good to stay up here in my brain. That's safe for me, Enneagram 5. But the answer is to go prayerfully into that future. So would you commit to daily prayer for that thing that you thought of earlier, that weight, that, that call the courage that you're just going, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I know one way that you could do this. You could be praying about it. And I need to be praying about the things that weigh heavily on me. So let's go prayerfully. Finally, let's go into the fall and beyond. Let's go into the fall and beyond. Let's not just think about how we get through the next few weeks. How are we going to survive? I just got to get through to Christmas. No, let's begin with the end in mind. St. Stephen Covey said it, right? Let's begin with the end in mind. This will be one of your breakout questions. A year from now, August 2021, you've gone through the early sunburn you're kind of looking toward the fall. You're starting to see a few leaves flip, flutter down from the trees. And you're going, what did I accomplish this last year? 
How did I see God move in my life? Begin with the end in mind. If you look out to August 2021, what do you want your life to look like? How do you want to have grown? Do you want to memorize some scripture? Do you want to dive deep into things like manual journaling? Do you want to teach our kids? Oh my gosh, we could use help teaching our kids. Kristen has a great team, but to keep going, to keep moving us forward in our children's spiritual growth and development, we need your help. Would you consider being a part of that? Let's go, church. Let's go. Now's our opportunity. I am so excited to step into what God has in front of us. So as the breakout room questions pop into the chat, take a look at those. Thank you, Ryan, for posting those. I want to read through them real quick, and then you'll go to your breakout rooms. So if you're new with us, the way breakout rooms work is you'll literally get dropped into a room in just a minute. Not, not literally, sorry. There's not going to be a trap door that opens up underneath you. You're going to go into a smaller section of this Zoom call and have the opportunity to have a conversation with people who want to go. They want to go into God's future with you courageously. And to guide that conversation, we're going to offer you a leader and we're going to offer a couple questions. So the leader, based on our theme of kind of drama and plays today, your leader in your group is the person who most recently watched a fine arts event. Obviously, that's probably a virtual thing. And Hamilton on Disney Plus does count as a fine arts event. So your questions are, what stood out to you from the speech from Henry V, the St. Christmas Day speech? Why do you think it's been such an inspiring speech to so many people? The second question is, picture the future, begin with the end in mind, August 2021. What do you want to say about the year ahead? What do you want that outcome to be for you? What do you want your kids or roommates to observe you doing? And I would add this, who can partner with you? Who can be a partner in accountability for you in this journey? Final question, how do you want to grow in your faith? in the year ahead, wherever you're at in your faith. Maybe you're new at following Jesus. Maybe you're just kind of checking this out. Maybe you've been going with him for decades and you're looking for a new challenge. How do you want to grow in your faith? And that last question, I'd love for you to maybe call upon your courage and share how you'd like to grow in your faith when we gather back together in the big Zoom room. So we'll have 15 minutes in our breakout rooms. I'll pray for us before we go. And then after those 15 minutes are up, we'll gather back together. And if you just want to type into the chat or say it out loud, here's how I would like to grow in my faith in the year ahead. We'd love to come beside you and support you in that as a church community, because we are going to go into God's future together. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how you called the church to do incredible things, which we could never have done on our own. And now we're a part of this moment in the life and history of the church. And we believe you called us forward yet again. So Lord, give us courage as we go into our breakout rooms. Help us to have these discussions well with vulnerability, with uh, a willingness to just share from the heart. Bless us now as we go and discuss. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.